Well, good morning and welcome to welcome to Grace Bible Church. Morning, morning. I, yeah, we Jonathan brought up the situation of this new law in in New York, and it grieves my heart to see uh, this nation go to this depth. And unfortunately, where New York and California go, so goes the rest of the nation sooner or later. And so we find ourselves as Christians standing in the find ourselves standing against what the world wants. And in one sense, there's a, there's a sadness there. There's a sadness that comes when knowing, in a very real sense. In another sense, there's a, there's a, a gladness knowing that the Lord can't tarry too long, right? He's not going to pass over this wickedness without judging it. We just need to trust Him and in His timing, and pray, and continue to stand in the gap. Continue to stand in the gap. If you're not aware of the the abortion law that was passed in New York, the uh, not just late term, but all the way up. My understanding is all the way up to the birth. If the if the um, I don't even want to call them doctors. If the person performing the abortion deems it to be da- a danger to the health of of the uh, mother. And you know, I read an article earlier this week from a medical professional uh, that said that if the if the health of the mother is a problem, then that's called a cesarean, a live birth. That that is just a cover for what they really want to do. It's just sickening, sad, saddens me beyond beyond belief. Well, let me get let's get started this morning, and let's uh, let's dive into. Our series on, we've called the Foundations of Grace. Foundations of Grace. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we began to look at uh, what is our philosophy of ministry at Grace Bible Church Gainesville. And we are taking the next few weeks to establish this philosophy of ministry. Uh, we want to take the time to really look through what it is that we do and what to understand and we can articulate what we do and why we do it. Let me uh, let me pray for us and then we'll start from there. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again. Father, we praise you. Lord, our hearts are full of gladness in you. Father, may we forever be encouraged in you. Lord, even when our hearts are sad at, at what we see in this dark world, Lord, we look to you and we look to your light. Father, may we be, as the scriptures say, lights in the in this dark world, shining forth your gospel, Father, so that people would come to know you. Father, we know that in, it's in the midst of these dark times that your light shines even brighter, the light of your gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and died for our sins, who came and walked on this earth in perfection, yet went to the cross, Lord, so that we might be free. We might, who are enslaved to sin, might be free to righteousness. Slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise Your holy name, in Christ's name, Amen. Well, this morning we're going to use Second uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 is going to be our main text. Let me 
start in verse 14 and I'll read uh, verses uh, 14 through 19, just for context. Paul writes to Timothy, Remind them of these things, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Verse 15, But be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them were Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place. And they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Well, we, as I said, are establishing the philosophy of ministry at Grace Bible Church. Last time, two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Mark preached to a, preached last week from Matthew 18. But two weeks ago, we learned the importance of developing and following a biblical philosophy of ministry. Now, you might be asking yourself as we go through this series, uh, why would we take the time to do that? Do this. I mean, you might be thinking, there's not very many of us. Aren't we all on the same page? You know, Pastor, I, you might be saying, you know, Pastor, I, I, I'm not going to some of those other churches for a reason. And my answer to you, that may be, may well be true enough. May we well be true enough, but we must remember that what we're doing here is establishing the foundation of Grace Bible Church. According to Scripture, and we saw this two weeks ago, according to Scripture, I, you and I are only building blocks and we are interchangeable by our Lord. He, he could take any one of us away from here at any time. He could move us around. He is able to do so. We can't be assured that we'll be here even tomorrow for whatever, for whatever reason. So we want to leave the right foundation for those who come after us. There was a very popular business book written a few years ago, and the author identified a certain trait in the CEO. He called it level five leadership. This, this certain trait who, uh, from the CEOs who led their companies to greatness. They, according to him, they possessed a paradoxical mix of personal humility and professional will. But here's what I want to, want to, what I want to impart to you. In that book, the author told the, told of a CEO who helped build his company to, into a powerhouse that, that he, the CEO, CEO said of the company, he said, all I want to do is one day drive by that company and be able to look over there and say, I helped build that. I helped to build it. He, he understood, he understood that he was just passing through and that he was just part of building that company. Now that's at a business level, but it's the same thing in our, in the church. Christ, according to Matthew 16, Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ is building his church. And beloved, as such, we are just passing through. And we need to leave then a solid foundation in place for those who come after we are long gone. 
Now, two weeks ago, we defined philosophy of ministry. And we said that a biblical philosophy of ministry is the summation, is the summation of biblical priorities that determine how this church or our church or Grace Bible Church is to function. Let me say that again. A biblical philosophy of ministry is the summation, the summation of biblical priorities that determine how Grace Bible Church or any church really is to function. Now we gave four reasons why we need to have a philosophy of ministry at Grace Bible Church Gainesville. Now let me give you those quickly. We, we found that a biblical philosophy of ministry binds us to scripture, binds us to scripture. Now we've seen according to the definition that the, a biblical philosophy of ministry is a summation of biblical priorities. Therefore, when we follow a biblical philosophy of ministry, then we are following God's plan for the church. Again, if we, if we are rooted, reroute that philosophy, philosophy of ministry in His Word. Now this is important, supremely important in an age where it seems that hip or trendy, it's where it seems hip or trendy to follow man's ideas for the church. People can be duped into believing that we are more relevant, more relevant when we're more like the world. But we are nothing but a cheap imitation of the world. When we try to become like the world, we are nothing but a cheap imitation of the world. Just last week I was told by one of you about a church in Alachua which hired their worship leader directly from a local bar. They, they went, the pastor went to the bar and met this guy and, and hired him right there from the, the local bar. <clears throat> Beloved, people are looking for authenticity. They are looking for substance, but there's nothing more fake. There's nothing more fake than a church competing with the world. There's nothing more fake than that. If we, go, basically, if we go to a bar to hire our worship, all we're really doing is hiring the world's dropout. We're just trying to be like the world, and there's nothing more fake than that. There's nothing then more authentic than the church following the Word of God. There's nothing of more substance than a church that's following the Word of God. So a biblical philosophy of ministry then binds us to the Word of God. Secondly, a, a biblical philosophy of ministry holds us steady. Ultimately, it gives us direction and keeps us from wandering off course. The, the nautical command, you've heard it, uh, uh, keep her steady as she goes, meant to maintain course direction even as the ship was buffeted by wind and waves. The helmsman's job was to give, or is to give, slight course corrections to keep the ship moving in the right direction. Similarly, a biblical philosophy of ministry will provide the necessary course corrections keeping us from wandering off course. If we just do what we want to do, if we just... Uh, start down the trail without really knowing where we're going, then we're liable to find ourselves way off course very quickly. Even a, a you know, you've heard it said, right? Even a half bubble off, when you go far enough, you get way out of, out of from where you really want to be or need to be. Thirdly, a biblical philosophy of ministry gives us a standard. Gives us a standard. In other words, uh, a biblical philosophy of ministry will give us a standard by which we evaluate our ministries. 
And you might say, you might be saying, I hope you're saying, but don't we have the Scriptures to evaluate ministry? And, and the answer is yes, we do. But remember that our philosophy of ministry, that our philosophy of ministry is a summation of biblical priorities that determine how this church is to function. And so our, our philosophy of ministry will always remind us what we believe are the priorities of Scripture when it comes to church. Let's face it. Let's face it. Church, churches with wildly different philosophy of ministries are reading the same Bible as us. They're, they're reading the same Scripture as us. It's a matter of how they're interpreting it. And so, therefore, our philosophy of ministry then must be based on sound hermeneutics and, and, or a sound interpretation of the Scriptures to ensure that the priorities of God and Scripture are accurately reflected in it. And if we do so, if we do this, then a biblical, that biblical philosophy of ministry will give us a standard by which we compare ministries to or make sure that our ministries are what they need to be compared to what Scripture or the priorities of Scripture. Fourth, a biblical philosophy of ministry provides us a shield. Provides us a shield. Brethren, we will have people come into our church we will have people come into our church that will want to go a different direction. They will have ministry experiences which don't have, the, or they will come from ministry experiences which are not the same or don't have the same priorities as Grace Bible Church. Some of these will be innocent enough. And, will not, and it won't, won't take, or some of these people, that is, will be innocent enough and it won't take much to influence them in a more biblical direction. But there will be some who will be very entrenched and and maybe even an error. And we, so we need to be able to point to our foundation, our biblical philosophy of ministry, and ask ourselves and them if their direction, the direction they want to see the church go, is a biblical direction. You see, our philosophy of ministry will help protect this church as we face these situations because we will have it in writing what we believe and what we understand to be the priorities of Scripture when it comes to church. How we do church, that is. Now, two weeks ago, we started by looking at the first of four pillars which form the foundation of GBC. We, we saw that Grace Bible Church, Gainesville, is committed to four pillars which form the foundation of our philosophy of ministry. We saw first, two weeks ago, that we are committed to the exaltation of God. The exaltation of God. We looked at Isaiah 6, and we, we showed how showed the four inevitable results when a church is committed to God's exaltation. First, we saw that we will recognize God's holiness and power. The text in Isaiah says that Isaiah saw God high and lifted up on His throne. He recognized the grandeur of the Lord God. He recognized His power and His dominion and His holiness. Now, beloved, when we as a church truly recognize God's power, and holiness and dominion, when we see His holiness and recognize it, we will re realize, we'll quickly come to realize man's rebellion. And that's the second result. First, we'll recognize His, his holiness and power. Secondly, we'll realize this, that man's rebellion. Uh, the, the, this is the first clear implication. Man's rebellion began in the garden and, and continues to this day. You and I... The, Outside in our flesh, if we are redeemed, we are still in rebellion against God. The world is in rebellion against God, especially those who don't know Him. 
Isaiah realized his own rebellion. When he saw the, the vision of God, he cried out, Woe is me! Woe, woe is me! God didn't, didn't leave him in that position, though, but he readied him for ministry by cleansing him. Now, this caused Isaiah then, and should cause us, when we see God's grace, we sh- or when we see our rebellion in light of His holiness, and we see that He is willing to save us, that we should relish that, that grace that He gives us. So that's the third result. We will relish God's grace. We'll come to, to love the fact that God has shown His grace and mercy toward those who don't deserve it. Beloved, beloved we, in our rebellion against the holy God, we deserve wrath. We deserve uh, wrath and hell for eternity. Yet God has shown His grace and mercy toward us. And if we understand that, if we understand the true predicament that we are that we have when we don't know Him, and the fact that He has saved us, when we come to understand that, we will come to relish, we'll come to love the fact that God has shown His grace towards us. And we'll want to see others come to know Him in the same way. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve His grace. But when we come to, to see and come to experience His grace in our lives, we'll have a, then an insatiable desire to reveal His truth. An insatiable re- desire to, to preach the truth of the Word of God. That's the four results of exalt, the exaltation of God. I charge you then. I charge you. As a church to ensure that everything that we do as a church, every ministry that we undertake as a church, that that, those ministries would exalt God first and foremost. No matter what we do from the preaching of the Word to to the music ministry to youth ministry to children's ministry, whatever it is that we undertake, I charge you to ensure that those ministries first and foremost exalt God. This brings us to the second pillar, forming the foundation of Grace Bible Church's philosophy of ministry. We are committed to the exposition of the Scriptures. We are committed to the exposition of the Scriptures. Now, I've chosen 2 Timothy 2.15. Let me read it. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be, a, excuse me, to be ashamed Accurately handling the word of truth. Now, I could have chosen other texts to make this point, but I chose this one because it focuses on the preacher of the word of God and what he must do. Beloved, this is based on the importance of the task at hand, the task of preaching the word of God and teaching, uh, teaching, teaching God's people the word. I submit to you then that preaching the Word of God is the most important thing we do at Grace Bible Church. Everything else revolves around it. Everything else that we do, every other ministry that we have here at Grace Bible Church from now on revolves around the preaching of the Word from this pulpit. John Calvin understood this when he said this, wherever we find the Word of God surely preached and heard, and sacraments administered according to the institution of Christ, there, it is not to be doubted, is a church of God. So, according to John Calvin, according to this quote, that, that it takes the preaching of the Word of God and, and communion and baptism 
Those are the, those are what constitute the church. Now, I want and I desire future leaders of Grace Bible Church Gainesville to be able to evaluate future preachers, future people who would come and stand here in this pulpit. I want the church to understand the right commitments so that, so that the leaders can evaluate the right man for the job. I plan to stay with you as long as you'll have me. Don't get me wrong, but I realize that we are laying a foundation for the future. And we need to realize that our commitment to expository preaching, our commitment to preaching the Word of God, truly differentiates Grace, Grace Bible Church and will continue to do so if we properly define it. Let me say that again. We need to realize that our commitment, our commitment to expository preaching, truly differentiates Grace Bible Church from most churches around. It's, it's, it absolutely differentiates our church, this church, from other churches and will continue to do so if we properly understand and define it. Beloved, we have to protect this. This is a, this is a treasure if we understand it. Now, before we launch into the text, let me define what we mean by, or when we say expository preaching. It's important for us to give a definition because expository preaching has become very, very popular of late. It's kind of amazing. I, I never thought expository preaching would become popular. But I don't want you to think that everyone has the same definition of expository preaching. Now, this exercise will help you. Not only evaluate our preaching, but it'll help you if you're ever in a position of searching for another church and you want to know if they value expository preaching or if they value pre the preaching of the Word of God. Now, let me start by giving you three types of expository preaching that I would say are not true expository preaching. The first type. This is not true expository preaching. So we're going to start with the negatives and then we're going to work our way to the positive. Expo this is what I would call, the first one is what I would call ex the expository springboard sermon. The expository springboard sermon. This is where the preacher takes a text and he identifies the subject that it seems to teach and then he launches into teaching that theme but not the text. Let me say that again. The springboard sermon, expository springboard sermon, is where the preacher takes a text and identifies the subject that it seems to teach, or it may be the subject that it te teaches, then he launches into the teaching of that theme, but not the text. The most popular method of this is to find the theological theme of the text and spend the entire sermon discussing various viewpoints of that theme before explaining which viewpoint best fits the preacher's theological system. So they find the theological theme of the text, and then they go to their, their systematic theology, and then they, they, they basically take the sermon to explain that the various viewpoints of that theme uh, and they teach about that theme, and they then give you the best the viewpoint which best fits their theological system. In these types of sermons, you might hear lots of references to theological words and systems. Like I say, Calvinism, Arminianism, cessationism, covenant theology, whatever else that you might hear that's a that's a systematic theology theme or a a, a subject. 
you'll hear in these types of sermons. Now, let me make sure you understand. These sermons can be useful at times. You might hear me preach a sermon on a certain theological theme. If I, if I deem it to be something that we are struggling with, something that we need to understand, I would probably take time to do so. As a matter of fact, you could argue in some ways that that's what I'm doing here. With, we're looking at the theological theme of the church as a, as a large, as a large umbrella in this situation. But you can't do that as a steady diet or you, or you will starve. Because you're learning more about what other people say about the Bible than what God has to say. You see the difference? Now, I want you to understand that this type of sermon results from either taking a too, too narrow a focus or too broad a focus on the text. As an example, I can focus on one word or a part of a phrase and spend my time there. An example might be, might be spending a sermon or more preaching on the life of Paul. Now, there's a time and a place for that. Again, there's a time and a place for me to spend time looking at a subject like that. But it can't be every Sunday. I can't just take it, take every Sunday and, and have that narrow a focus. Now, I also, another example might be taking an entire paragraph and pulling out a theological theme. We've talked about it. As an example, I might look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 and, and spend an entire sermon preaching about grace. Again, there's a place for this. But it's not, we have to understand, that's not preaching the text. That's not preaching the text. That's preaching something about the text. That's preaching a theme in the text, but it's not preaching the text. There's a big difference. The second type of of expository sermon that you might hear is the expository word study sermon. This is where the preacher takes a text and identifies a few key words which are defined, many times poorly defined, and he preaches those. He takes those definitions to determine the meaning of the text without regard for the grammar or context of the passage. He forms the sermon based on or from those word meanings. Now, what we have to understand is, now the key here is understanding that he's using these word studies in order to form his understanding of the passage. And he's ignoring, if you will, the, the context of the passage and the history of the passage, the, the context, the historical context and the grammatical uh, construction of the passage. And so he's just using these word studies in order to, in order to form his sermon. Again, word studies are useful. They're very useful. I do them all the time. Inform, it, they're useful in forming our understanding of a passage, but this can't be the extent of our exegetical study. We have to have other things involved. Now let me give you a third one. Let me give you a third one that I see. It's called the Expository History Lesson Sermon. The Expository History Lesson Sermon. This this is the sermon which, which explains the history surrounding the text, but never seems to leave the past tense. It never seems to leave uh, the what what's going on in the text at that point. Therefore, it never helps the modern audience. They, they, they come to know more about what's going on, right? They come to know more about the history, but they never understand the, signif- the modern significance of the text. You see, the expository, the true expository preacher must bridge the gap. He must help us understand what's going on in the history. He must then 
use the gra- grammar and the definitions of the words along with the grammar and the context to then bridge the gap to a modern audience to help them understand the implications of the text today. Now, as I've said, all of these, these three types, that is, can be are, are aspects of expository preaching, but they fall short of what I would say is the true definition of expository preaching. Now, it's interesting. I, I was kind of thinking about this this morning when I was finishing up my preparation. The reason why we need to really be careful to, ex- to explain what expository preaching is is because, because preaching has fallen on hard times. The, what, what is being called preaching is not preaching at all. It's pep talks. It, it's, it's someone standing up and, and, and basically telling you how you need to live your life. But it's not preaching the Word of God. It's not explaining the Word of God. Now, so now that we've looked at what we've given some poor examples of expository preaching, let's look at a good working definition. A good working definition. Listen to how Steve Lawson defines expository preaching. He says this, This is the true nature of preaching. It is the man of God opening the Word of God. That's interesting, isn't it? It's the man of God opening the Word of God and expounding expounding its truth so that the voice of God may be heard, the glory of God seen, and the will of God obeyed. End quote. John MacArthur says it this way. This is how John MacArthur defines expository preaching. The only logical response to inerrant Scripture then is to preach it expositionally. By expositionally, I mean preaching in such a way, in such a way that the meaning of the Bible passage is presented entirely and exactly as it was intended by God. Expository preaching is the proclamation of the truth of God as mediated through the preacher, end quote. Now, I want to give us a working definition of expository preaching. We can define an expository sermon as as text-driven preaching, where the point of the sermon and its outline are derived from the correct interpretation of the text of Scripture arrived at through careful exegesis using the literal, historical, grammatical method of interpretation and where the preacher carefully explains the God-intended meaning of the text giving its modern implications. Now, I know that was a long definition and I can give it to you guys uh, if you would like to have a copy of it. But here, let me just explain. We believe then, that expository preaching has as its primary aim to simply read and explain the text. As simple as that. The, the expository sermon, its primary aim is to simply read and explain the text. We believe that the only trustworthy source for specific knowledge and direction from God is found in the canon of Scripture. The 66 books of the Bible that you hold in your hand. That's it. It's where we, that's the only trustworthy source of knowledge and direction from God. Nehemiah 8.8 says this, they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give sense, the sense so that they understood the reading. It's as simple as that. 
Expository preaching, then, is simply reading and explaining the text of Holy Scripture. Now, we believe, then, that the people of God need to hear the Word of God and have its meaning exposed so that they know how to live in a worshipful way toward God. That, that we believe that in order for you to understand how to live in a worshipful way toward God, that you need to hear the Word of God and have its meaning exposed. Because God has chosen to reveal Himself through His special revelation, the Word of God. And as such, we are reliant on His Word because we trust completely in its power to transform. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I, as a preacher... Beloved, as a preacher, I have nothing other to say other than what the text of Scripture says. Helping us understand what the text of Scripture says. So then, the faithful preacher's primary work is to mine the text for its God-intended meaning using normal methods of interpretation, which we will define as the historical grammatical method of interpretation and exegesis. Now, I don't want to scare you guys off. It's. It, I'm just using when I when I'm interpreting scripture, I'm learning about the history, of, and you do the same thing if you're interpreting scripture. You're learning about the history of the text, the history surrounding the text. That's the historical method. You're you're looking at the construction of the words. You're looking at the meanings of the words. You're looking at how the phrases are put together in order to interpret what the God intended meaning is. Therefore. Therefore, if it's that, if that is our primary work, we demand that our preachers and teachers work diligently to accurately handle the word of truth. It's a demand. I mean, if you're going to stand up here and preach and teach, or if you're going to preach a Bi- or teach a Bible study, uh, whatever it is you're going to do, we demand that the hard work be done in order to understand what is being taught and be able to communicate it correctly. We believe then that God transforms our hearts through the Scriptures. Therefore, we believe it's best to handle the Word of God exegetically. Now, what this means is that we are to draw then God's intended meaning out of the text. So we go to the text and we pull the intended meaning out of the text and, and, and we, we teach that intended meaning rather than reading in our own ideas and presuppositions into the text. So... We call it exegesis when we pull it out of the text, and we call it eisegesis when we take our own ideas and we put it into the text. Proof texting is what some people will call it. As we've said, we hold to a literal, literal grammatical, historical interpretation of the Scriptures. That, let me just tell you what that means. We believe that Scripture then is meant to be understood literally, where the plain meaning is understandable. So if I read a text of Scripture... Take it to be what it says. It's as simple as that. We understand it grammatically in that we translate from the original languages and their unique grammatical constructions when we seek, when seeking to resolve any seeming lack of clarity. So we look to the language. We look to the tenses. We look to, we look to decline the, 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 the words. We look to understand how they are, how they're put together. 
so that we can understand what the author is trying to say. No different than if you were to read a love letter from your beloved. You would look at the words and you would try to understand the meanings. You try to understand what they're trying to say. You wouldn't want to misunderstand what they're saying. Same thing. We look at it historically in that we seek to know the historical background. We seek to know as much as we can about the original recipients of the letter or, or of, the, of the text to more fully grasp the meaning and implications. Our goal then is to reveal the mind of God. It, it is our method though. It is our method. Our goal is to reveal the mind of God, but it is our method in expository preaching. This is what we choose to do. To, to preach and teach verse by verse through the Scripture. So we, we start in verse 1, we start in chapter 1, verse 1, and we work our way through the text so that we can fully understand the text. So we just finished up James James chapter 5, but we started in James 1, 1, and we worked our way through James 5, and we, we understand the entire letter because we were able to work through the entire text. The preacher then is to understand that he is simply a mouthpiece of God charged with exposing the meaning of Scripture to the listener. Now it's the goal of the preacher to do these things trusting that God the Holy Spirit will use His Word in changing the lives of God's people, making them more more and more like their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We, We preach the Scriptures, we expose the meaning of Scripture, we we apply the Scriptures, but we trust that the Holy Spirit will do His work as he, as the Scripture and the meaning of the Scripture is exposed in the lives of the people. And we understand that the real evidence of this is when the disciple continues in Christ's Word. John eight thirty one. so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed Him, if you continue in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. So now that we've defined what we mean by expository preaching, and we've shown its importance, let's look at 2 Timothy 2.15 and apply this text to Grace Bible Church. At Grace Bible Church Gainesville, we are committed to the exposition of the Scriptures for all the reasons I just gave you. Therefore, we demand that the preacher of the Word of God be... First, assiduous in his work. Now, assiduous, what that means is showing great care and perseverance. Showing great care and perseverance. The Scripture says be diligent. Now, this the context of 2 Timothy. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy encouraging him in ministry. This letter was written as Paul was imprisoned in Rome for, for a second time. And this, this imprisonment, imprisonment Paul seems to be resigned to his fate. He is no longer hopeful for his release. He's in a cold cell as he writes these words and chains, and he has no hope of ever ever being let go. As such, Paul wrote to Timothy with full knowledge that his life and ministry were coming to an end. Therefore, he writes to encourage Timothy to remain faithful in the face of ongoing persecution. But it seems that Timothy is struggling with fear and doubt. There's reason for Paul to fear that Timothy is weakening spiritually at a time when he needed to be the most strong. In 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul exhorted Timothy this. He says this, 
For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Now this is perhaps the most pointed statement in this regard. See, Paul was calling Timothy to be courageous in his faith. He went on in 2 Timothy 1.8 to say this. He said, tells him not to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. In the following verses, starting in verse 10, continue to reveal, help us understand Paul's mindset. He says this in verse 13, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You see, Paul is handing down here. Paul knows that his life is ending. Paul knows that he poured out as a drink offering, is what he says later in the, in the letter. Paul knows that his life is coming and ministry is coming to an end. And he's giving Timothy a strong charge to continue work of the ministry. Therefore, he exhorts him to retain and guard and protect the standard of sound words the, the Scripture, the Gospel, which has been entrusted to Him. Beloved, the point. This charge resounds down through the, the church age. Any man who would stand in this pulpit or any pulpit this morning preaching the Word of God has been charged in the very same way that Paul charges Timothy. In chapter 2, he goes on to say, in chapter 2, verse 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We see that Paul is desiring for what has been started and, and his ministry to continue past his death. And he says in 2 Timothy 2.3 Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the, the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who, is, who has enlisted him as a soldier. And he goes on and he, and, he, and he tells them that he gives him another example of the athlete who, who competes according to the rules and the hardworking farmer who is the first to receive the share of the crops. Basically, uh, to, Paul is telling Timothy to give everything to to preach and teach the word of God to 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 entrust to other men that that which has been entrusted to him. He says in verse eight, chapter two, verse eight. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. He's saying, look. I'm in chains right here, but I'm telling you right now that the Word of God is not in chains. That it will continue to spread. And there's nothing that they, that, that they, the, the authorities, there's nothing that Satan, there's nothing that can be done to stop it. He says, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Paul, Paul is calling Timothy to suffer, to suffer greatly for the cause of the gospel. He's calling Timothy, he's call, it's a, this is a strong charge to Timothy, and he says in chapter 2, verse 13, if 
We are faithless. He remains faithful. The Lord Jesus, for He cannot deny Himself. It says in verse 14, Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of hearers. You see, ultimately, what I want to, the point I'm trying to make to you guys is that this letter then is a, is Paul's charge to Timothy and to every faithful preacher who would come after him to preach the Word of God, to protect what has been entrusted to them. And it's with this as our backdrop that we come to 2 Timothy 2.15 where Paul says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Be diligent. It means to be eager, zealous, to make every effort. He starts this, this, this verse with a command. A command to tell Timothy that he has to, he has to be zealous. He has to make every effort. This has the idea of a, a zealous per, persistence to accomplish something. The, the teacher of the Word of God then must give maximum effort to impart God's truth completely and as clearly and unambiguously as possible. He is, ha- he is to have an unreserved commitment to excellence in examining, interpreting, and explaining, and applying God's Word. Paul commands Timothy to give his entire being then. To give everything to the work of handling the Word of truth. This is not a a flippant request. But it's one to be taken with all seriousness. The man of God who would stand in front of you and preach the Word of God should be held to this high standard. Must be held to this high standard. We must demand that the one who would open the Word of God, teach the Word of God, would do it with all seriousness. Giving every maximum effort. And the reason that he's doing so is that he's presenting himself to God, not men. Beloved, I'm not preaching... I'm, I'm, I'm standing in front of you and I'm preaching, but ultimately my preaching is to God, not to you. You see, Paul wanted Timothy to understand he's not being judged by men, but by God. He's not being judged by these false teachers who wrangle with words, but by God who will judge them all. And he's not to be fearful. He's not to be fearful when he calls these men down, when he exhorts them. He needs to be willing to say, Thus saith the Lord. Because it is God, not men, who examines his life and conduct. Therefore, Timothy is called by Paul to order his life in such a way as to please God and not men. Therefore, the aim of the preacher is to present himself approved to God. This this word approved has the idea of testing or being accepted after testing. It it implies being tried and proved as precious metals are proved before they are are accepted as genuine. You see, we must understand this in context. Paul is calling Timothy to suffer for the cause of Christ. It is that testing through suffering which will reveal Timothy's true character before God and before men. Paul calls Timothy to seek God's approval alone because God's estimate of a man is always infallible. And that is shown through the fire or the crucible of suffering. 
Therefore, the man of God, the preacher, must always, according to this, must always keep in mind his objective, and that is to be pleasing to his master. Therefore, he must be diligent in his efforts to be pleasing to God. He must never default to speaking words which tickle the ears of man, but speak the words of sound doctrine. He must never bow to the pressures of man. Later in the letter, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Do I not have to tell you that that's exactly what's happening as we look across the landscape of this nation? I, I just saw today, I just saw an article earlier today that the Catholic Cardinal, I think, Timothy Dolan, refuses to call out the governor of New York, uh, Cuomo, because of, of this abortion law. He will not even call him out because he, he wants to tickle the ears of those, who, of those men who ultimately put him where he's at. There's no other way to there's no other way to look at it. You see, God will always test his men. God will always put his man in place. And he will always test him. And he will be shown to be approved before God. Let's look at the second point. We are committed to the exposition of Scripture, committed to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Therefore, we demand the preacher of the Word of God not be, never be ashamed of his work. Never be ashamed of his work. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Paul tells Timothy that he's to present himself approved to God as a worker. Timothy's task as a worker and the task of every diligent preacher is one of difficult labor. The task of preaching the Word of God takes much effort and is to be done with excellence. According to, the, to Paul, the preacher of the Word of God will stand before God to be judged for his work. The lazy and insolent worker before God will always be ashamed before Him. This, this word ashamed can be defined as a, as a painful emotion caused by con the consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. The word can be defined as that, that painful feeling arising from the consciousness of having done something dishonorable. Therefore, the lazy and insolent preacher will always be ashamed before God because he will always come up short. He will always find ways to cut corners in this task of preparation. He will not be willing to spend the hours in the seat seated in the seat, reading, studying, and rightly dividing the Word of God. Said another way, he will find that task distasteful. H.B. Charles says this, A desire to preach without the burden to study is a desire to form. End quote. Say that again. A desire to preach without a burden to study is a desire to perform. That man will have ample reason to be ashamed before God because that man is not willing to stay in the seat studying and understanding, rightly dividing the Word. The man of God must, must stay there until his task is complete. And if it takes more hours, then that's what it takes. 
If it takes early mornings, that's what it takes. Anything less is shameful. Anything less cannot be tolerated. Anything less might be pleasing to men, but will never be pleasing to God. Beloved, the man of God, the preacher, will always be a worker. He will always be diligent in his work because he understands the importance of the task. He will not be ashamed because he knows that his job is to be an unashamed worker. Oh, there'll be times he comes up short. There'll be times when he when he leaves the pulpit and he'll say, I, I wish I would have done this. John Stott says this. And this is, he says this because of the importance of the task. And seldom, if ever, do I leave the pulpit without a sense of partial failure, a mood of penitence, a cry to God for forgiveness, and a resolve to look for Him to, for grace to do better in the future. End quote. The man of God will spend countless hours preparing himself for the task. And then when it's done, he'll look back and wish he'd have spent more. Let's look at the third point. At Grace Bible Church Gainesville, we're committed to the exposition of Scripture. Therefore, we demand that the preacher of the Word of God be accurate in his work. Paul says, accurately handling the Word of Truth. The, the Timothy, Timothy is to be an unashamed workman who accurately handles the word of truth. Uh, the, the word translated accurately handle, handle means to cut straight or cut right. It is used of a craftsman cutting a straight line, of a farmer plowing a straight furrow, of a mason setting a straight line of bricks, or of a workman building a straight road. I remember plowing the garden a few times and my dad's looking at my rows and giving me a hard time because they're never straight. Or I remember a few times helping lay bricks and I'd had to have my bricks taken off because I couldn't lay them straight. But the, but the, the preacher is never ever to have that said of him. He needs to be willing to do what it takes to accurately handle, to cut it, to cut it straight. Paul was a tent maker by trade and he may have had in mind the careful cutting and sewing of the many pieces of leather and cloth necessary to make a tent. This imagery then builds on the imagery of the worker. They must be willing to take the time and give the effort to make it right, to accurately handle the Word of God. It is important for the man of God to be accurate in his handling of the Word of God because of this, because because it's a dangerous weapon. It's a dangerous weapon which is capable of great danger if placed in the wrong hands. If, if the man of God is not careful in, in using and wielding the, the Word of God, he can do great damage. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Beloved, that's a good thing. But if we wield it in a, in, a, in a wrong way, if we don't cut it straight, we are in great danger of doing great harm. Let's look at the fourth point quickly. This is where we'll bring it all together. We are committed to the exposition of Scripture at Grace Bible Church Gainesville. Therefore, we demand the preacher of the Word of God be aware of his work. Be aware of his work. 
the word of truth. Uh, the, the material that this worker is to handle correctly is the word of truth. And only when he handles it correctly will he be unashamed. The word of truth can be used or is used in the, the New Testament as the gospel, the message of truth. Paul reminded the believers in Ephesus uh, that um, he says in, in, in Ephesians 1.13, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. James speaks of the, the word of truth in James 1.18, he br- that the Lord brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among His creatures. But other references of God's truth refer to the full revelation of, of His Word in Scripture. Jesus doubtless had this broad meaning in mind when He prayed to His Father on our behalf, Sanctify them in truth. Thy Word is truth. In any case, the, Paul's point here is the same. When we preach and teach the Word of God, we are preaching and teaching the Word of truth. We're preaching and teaching the Gospel, the good news. Because what we understand as the Gospel, the good news of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the good news that, the, that Jesus suffered and died on the cross makes very little sense apart from the entire message of Scripture. They, they, they go hand in glove. The Gospel can't be separated from the rest of the truth of the Word of God. Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20:27, 20, "For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose or the whole counsel of God." Beloved, we cannot shrink back from teaching and explaining the whole purpose of God, the whole counsel of God. This is the simple definition of what we have called expository preaching. That's a simple definition, just reading and explaining the Word of God, which is the purpose, the whole purpose of God. When we exposit the Scriptures, every aspect of God's truth is to be handled accurately as a sacred trust by those who teach it and by those who hear it. Do you understand this? This is a, this is a trust. I, I'm, I'm to be held accountable to teach accurately. You're to be held accountable to what's being said, to what's being taught. See, Paul, Paul completely understood this trust. In Colossians 1.25, he says this, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. Paul understood that trust that's going on here. He emphatically wanted to pass this trust along to Timothy who would in turn entrust others with it. Beloved, as I've said, this is the tie to our teaching on what we have defined as expository preaching. The man of God, the preacher of the Word of God, has been charged to preach the Word of truth. He has been charged to preach the whole counsel of God. He cannot shrink back from this without having innocent blood on his hands. Brethren, I hope it's clear that we are charged to preach the Word of God. It's a sacred trust. I want to end with a text that I could have easily preached today. I thought it was important to focus on the, the importance of the entire work of expository preaching by the man of God, meaning that 
that you need to hold the man of God accountable. The man who stands teaching, you need to hold him accountable to teach the Word accurately. But I think it's just as important to finish this sermon with a charge to this church. And to any man who would stand in this pulpit, and to any man who would come after me, and to myself. That's what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4.1. Listen to this carefully. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Beloved, this Paul was this charge was made by Paul to Timothy, but its applicability to the preacher is clear. We are to preach the word of God without shrinking back, no matter the circumstances. And I believe this charge is applicable to you as well. You have been given a trust here at Grace Bible Church of Gainesville. I pray that you will never accept anything less than a man who will open the Word of God and explain it to you so that you will understand it. I pray that you will guard what has been entrusted to you. My prayer is that you will take seriously this charge and would hold any man accountable, including me, who presumes to stand in this pulpit. I pray that you will expect him to preach the whole counsel of God, I pray that you will expect him to be ready in season and out of season and that he would reprove, rebuke, and exhort you with great patience and instruction. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning again, or this early afternoon. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you've given us the word Lord, we are committed to expository preaching, but simply said, we are committed here at Grace Bible Church, we commit to you preaching the Word of God, simply reading and explaining the text so that the people of God might understand it. We thank you and praise you for your Word. We know that by it we grow with respect to salvation. We know that there is no other way to know who you are, to grow in maturity other than through the Word of God. We thank you and praise you again in Christ's name. Amen.